1: Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Tanko's message today is entitled The New Deal. Now, we hope you enjoy today's broadcast. We'll bring it to you in two parts due to our time constraints. Make sure you tune in tomorrow to complete this message, but you can also go online to reachingyourheart.com. I'll have details on that at the close of our message today, so stay with us for just a few seconds afterwards. Let's get underway with the first portion of The New Deal. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Michael Oxen-Tanko.
2: Dear Father, where would we be without grace? And Father, grace is not an idea. Grace is in a heart that has ideas. Grace was the motivating character and feeling within the heart of an infinite God that found a way to save people from sin. And Lord, I thank you for who you are. We are debtors to grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God's grace is God's way of changing you. Now, He could try all kinds of different methods, but He doesn't want to, and He won't. Because God's grace is God's way of changing you. May not be your way of changing you, but it's His. And God's covenant of grace is a new deal that is a lot better than the raw deal you were born with because of Adam's sin. You know, this notion that someone is good enough to merit God's grace is an idea that was cooked up in the wicked crock pot of the mind of Lucifer to keep you away from salvation and grace. God's grace is not dependent on how smart you are. God didn't start loving you because of your religion or your religious background. He didn't start loving you because you were lovely enough or because you were special to Him. It's something in you that made it happen. No, that's not why it happened. Because of sin, the only thing that makes you special to God is your need for grace. There's something in Him that wants to love something like you and make you different. God's grace is something strange to the human race. It's not rooted in what we bring to God. It comes from God to us because it was in God first. And God was in Christ giving us grace that was deliberately poured on those who disgraced Him to His face. In Jesus, the universe has been privileged to see God pour His infinite love on a world that didn't have a clue what love and grace is. Before we advance this morning on the subject of grace, let's get it straight what God's grace is not. God's grace is not a license to continue to do evil. God's grace is not a permission slip to set aside His law and just say, love, 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 all the time. God's grace is not cheap grace. Why? Because it costs God everything to give His grace to us. And it costs us everything to receive grace. There is a cost for costly grace. And grace is costly because it costs a man and a woman every idol that must be surrendered to the God who gave it all for grace. God has given us Jesus Christ as the new deal of God's grace. Friend, Jesus is not satisfied with anything less than all of you as the purchase of His grace. The man or woman who comes to know His grace accepts Jesus as Lord. I say that with a pause. Lord. And He will not suffer any other master in the heart that has been moved by grace. You see, you cannot follow Jesus without receiving the New Deal that changes you from the inside out, the New Deal, And this New Deal was envisioned by the ancient prophets. It was always God's intention to save you and your family by grace. Not just you, your family too. Turn with me to Isaiah 59. The Bible says, And as for me, this is verse 21. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit which is upon you, my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, or out of the mouth of your children, or out of the mouth of your children's children, says the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. How many of you like to see your family in the kingdom of God? Really? I mean, for that to happen, God's covenant of grace, God's commitment to you must go through you to your children into the future. God loves our children through the parents. And so what's happening here is that God wants to save your whole family, not just you. He wants to save us together, not just in isolation from each other. It's God's will that God's Spirit be found in you. And God's Spirit brings the attitude of grace and the attitude of unselfish love for others that will save your family, that will save them for service in God's plan. So I start with the question, what is sin really? What does He have to save us from? In 1 John 3, 4, the famous text that we're very used to interacting with, John says, whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is what? What does it say in the Bible there? It is the transgression of the law. Uh, Some translations say sin is lawlessness. An equally valid definition for sin is found in Romans 14.23. The Bible says, But he who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is what? What does the text say? It's sin. So, if you want a definition of sin, all you got to do is violate the law of God and you've sinned. Or to act in such a way that you do not have faith in God's ability to take care of you, so much so that you compromise your faith connection with God. That's sin too. You put it together and it's clear that faithlessness is the transgression of the law and both of these are sin. So, that's what grace is for. Grace is to save us from sin. When a person chooses to doubt the grace of God and to live a life of fear, be it religious or not, because that's what happens when you move out of faith, you move into fear, that life is sin because it is not a life of faith. When a man or woman will not allow God to forgive them because they can't believe that God can forgive them, so they won't forgive themselves, then the failure of faith is sin. When God declares by the force of His Word and by the integrity of His name, that there is pardon for the sinner who returns to him and seeks to change his ways, and yet that person refuses to accept forgiveness by faith, refuses to believe that grace can find a way when the Word of God says it is so, then that faithlessness becomes sin. It is just as much a sin as stealing, lying, or deliberately hurting someone else. Maybe more so because Christ said the sin of unbelief is the sin that will bring the world to final judgment. In fact, faithlessness has hurt someone very deep because God has given us all the evidence in His Holy Word that grace has found a way to save the sinner. And when we do not believe God at His Word and we do not accept the canopy of His righteousness and surrender to Him and we call Him as He is, Lord, a faithless life will lead you to the second resurrection at the end of the age and you will not be saved. So we need to believe what God has said. And belief is not passive. Belief is not something that happens and you say, well, I believe, and then you act like it doesn't. Friend, when you believe, you latch on to God's Word like Velcro. You believe whether your feelings make it so or not, and that is what changes a life. It hurts God when we do not accept the truth of costly grace received by faith from a heart of infinite love. It hurts Him. God has a new deal for you and your family. He wants you to be saved. He wants your family to be saved. He wants you to believe that what He did at Calvary's cross is good enough for your acceptance and He is able to get you through to eternity. Hebrews 8.6 But as it is, and I like the way it starts here in the present tense, as it is. It doesn't say as it was. As it is. Christ has obtained a ministry which is as much more excellent than the old covenant understood as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises Uh, in this verse the contrast is made between the new covenant and the old covenant now what is a covenant a covenant is a legal deal or contract that someone makes when you buy a car you enter into a covenant because you sign an agreement if you finance that car to pay for it i do think you pay for your cars don't you Okay, so you know what a covenant is. A marriage is a bilateral covenant where two parties agree they make promises. You can have a covenant where one party makes a promise and it's a unilateral covenant. And that's the kind of covenant that God has made with us. God's promise of grace is not based on how good you are. It's not based on what promises you can make. It's based on what God has done in Christ and would do in Christ based on who He is. It's a unilateral covenant. It comes from Him to us as grace. And God's covenant is His deal, His new deal, that He makes alone with the human race. And if no person would turn to Him in faith, He would have died for the world anyway. That's who God is. It may come as a surprise for you to know that the new covenant is really the oldest covenant of all. The new deal is older than any raw deal you were born with. Because the new covenant is in fact the everlasting covenant. Let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians 11.25 We read this verse very often at communion service. It says, In the same way also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the what? How does it read in your Bible? It's the what? The new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Very clear here. Jesus' blood is the blood of what covenant according to that verse? It's the blood of the new covenant. Now let's look at another verse. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, this verse tells us a lot. When you read the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, we know who he is. David was speaking of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. By the what? By the blood of what covenant? The eternal covenant. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in you that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So no missing it here. Here His blood is the blood of the everlasting covenant. And so we've learned that His blood is the blood of the new covenant. This verse says it's the blood of the everlasting covenant. Without getting too technical here, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the new covenant is the everlasting covenant. The blood of Christ ratified God's covenant. So what's new to us is not new to God. What's new to us in Jesus was something ancient and old to Him. It was a promise He made that He kept at the cross of Calvary by the blood of Jesus. In Deuteronomy 4.13, God's covenant is the Ten Commandments. Now you say, Pastor, here you were talking about grace and now you're moving to law. Right? I'll repeat myself. In Deuteronomy 4.13, God's covenant is is the Ten Commandments. Well, look at it. Deuteronomy 4.13, And He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform. That is what? What does it say? The Ten Commandments. And He wrote them on two tables of stone. You say, wait a second, Pastor. Why are you shifting like this? Because there's a truth that must be understood if we are to grasp the significance of God's new deal. Before the Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai, they were in existence. They didn 't just suddenly pop into existence at Sinai. they represent a truth that is ancient and old, that is very much so in the mind of God from eternity in the past. The Ten Commandment law of God is a transcript of His holy character of mercy and justice in that order. The universe, in fact, cannot exist without a moral law. and the Bible teaches that the moral law of the universe, which has been expressed to Moses and to Israel and for the human race at Sinai as the Ten Commandments is in fact God's name. That if you want to know how to spell God's name, there are ten statements that make God's name come into play. It's called the Ten Commandments. It is the substance of the New Covenant. Now you say, wait a second, I thought the New Covenant did away with the law. The New Covenant, the holy Ten Commandment law of God, is the substance of the New Covenant. The everlasting covenant, which is the new covenant, is God's name. And when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, God's name, which is God's wall, He signed the new deal with God's everlasting name, His eternal covenant in blood, signed. The deal was operative. Let me give you a couple of verses that will help to show this relation between God's name and God's eternal covenant. Psalms 111, verse 9. I guess that's another way of saying 111, right? Okay. Verse 9. Now here it says He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant for how long? What does it say? Forever. That means it's an everlasting covenant. Holy and terrible is His... What does it say? Name. So as soon as the Bible speaks of God's eternal covenant, it speaks of His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who practice it His praise endures forever. God's covenant is forever because God's name is forever. And when you come to know God by His name, you become holy because you have come to reverence His law, which is His name. Isaiah 56, verse 6. Now here's a chapter which says that the Sabbath day Sabbath was given for the entire human race. And a non-believer who becomes a believer outside of Judaism could be brought into the covenant by keeping the Sabbath. And look what it says in verse 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love what? What does it say in the text? To love the name of the Lord and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it. And then it says, who holds fast my... My covenant. Notice here, reverencing God's name is the same thing as holding fast His covenant. He says, These I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for how many people? For all peoples, God's not in the business of pushing people out of a relationship with him. He is in the business of drawing his dear children from every corner of the world to his heart, so his house is to be for all people. The everlasting covenant of God's grace is in fact, God's eternal name, which is His law of mercy and justice. and the integrity of God's name brought Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary. Why? Friend, because Jesus has the name. Christ is the guarantee that God is as good as His name to save you. Christ came to reveal the name of God. Christ came to honor the name of God. In Jesus, the name is revealed in life, a perfect life, and it is revealed in a perfect death of sacrifice to save you. So when we speak of Jesus, we must understand that we are referring to the name. And the New Covenant is really about Jesus who came to show us God. Friend, Jesus is God's new deal. Some people say, well, Pastor Mike, you know, aren't you getting a little too Christ-centered here? Yeah, that's right. It's not too Christ-centered. It's right. There has never been a plan B to save us. There's never been a plan B to save you. Christ is the only plan to save you. And religion is not about how much right thinking you have. It's about the one who died so that you could be put right in a relationship with God. So when we speak of Jesus, we're speaking about the substance of the new covenant. God's law, God's name resides in Christ. And so when we see the cross of Calvary, we see infinite justice. We see the moral law Himself dying on the cross because we broke that law. Christ is God's covenant. In 2 Corinthians 1:20, Paul makes this amazing statement. He says, "All the promises of God are yes in Jesus." Friend, God's promise for your future is only possible in Jesus. If you're trying to map out a future for yourself and Christ is not in the mix, you have no future. But if you have Jesus, your future is certain. The covenant is certain for you. Friend, Jesus is the one who came to reveal the law and love of God. He came to keep it. He came to atone for its transgression. And He came because God's law cannot be changed because God cannot change. And what we see at the cross of Calvary is love that cannot change. And by dying on the cross, Jesus has revealed God's name. The cross of Calvary is proof that God is His law. And His law is love. Turn to John twelve twenty seven. Christ is here talking about the journey that will lead Him to the cross. He says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, No. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Thy name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now what He's saying is, I did that at Sinai. That's what He's alluding to. I glorified it. I revealed my law, but I'm going to do it again. At the cross of Calvary, I'm going to show what the law is all about. The crowd standing by heard it and said that it had thundered. That's what happened at Mount Sinai. Well, it happened here too. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Well, that happened at Sinai too. Paul says the law was mediated through angels. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. God spoke at Mount Sinai. Here he speaks. And look what Jesus says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men and women understood to myself. Jesus said this to show by what death He was to die. God's name, God's law, vindicated at the cross of Calvary. Friend, the cross of Calvary is the revelation of the deepest principles of who God really is, of His law. Christ came to magnify the law of God, not to do away with it or nail it to a cross. John seventeen six. Jesus says, I have manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of this world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me. They have kept thy word. So when you honor God's name, you keep his word. John seventeen eleven. And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to thee, Holy Father. Now look what his prayer is just before he dies. Keep them in thy, thy name, which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And then John 1.12, But to all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave power to become the children of God. It means who believed in His covenant. Who believed that He is what He says He is. That person can become a child of God. The New Deal, which is God's new covenant in Jesus, takes God's eternal name, which is His flawless and eternal law. And it writes it on the human heart that has sinned against Him, and it changes that heart. Grace found a way to change a sinner into a saint. Sometimes well-meaning Christians say that the law of God was done away with in the New Covenant. If the law of God was done away with, then you cannot change. You cannot become like God because that law is a transcript of who God is. That kind of theology is far into the Bible. The exact opposite is true here. The new covenant takes God's name, which is His law, which is His character. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is written on the heart that had rebelled and a softened, broken heart becomes one that can obey. Hebrews 8, verse 8, For He finds fault with them, the people, when He says, The days will come, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I paid no heed to them, says the Lord. Verse 10, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And notice he's shifting from what you can do to what he is doing. We have I words here. I will make, I will put, I will be. He says, I will put my laws into their minds. And write them on their hearts, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Friend, God found a way in Jesus to take his perfect law and put it into the heart of men and women who have sinned against him and changed the heart. You know, what good is religion if we don't change? Can I ask that question? What good is it to come to church if you don't change deep down inside? If you don't learn to love someone you wouldn't actually care about. If your life doesn't shift from self-centered existence to selfless ministry. What good is it? Friend, we must change for religion to be relevant. God found a way in Jesus to take His perfect law and change men and women. How? God found a way to draw the center to Him and to save a person by grace. So they would have an attitude change that changes the life. So what in fact changes the life? It's not religion. It's not rules. And I believe in good standards in the church because the Bible teaches us so. It's grace. Hebrews 8.11 And they shall not teach everyone his brothers, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And here's the key, verse 12. For I will be... How does the text read? I want to hear it loudly. <laughs> Merciful. That's a good word, toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. I mean, that's dramatic. That ought to make you get up and down and just praise God. That God looks upon your flawed life and my flawed life. And He says, it is my choice by divine election, by grace, to be merciful toward your iniquities and to pardon them and to put them so far away from me that I can't remember them anymore. The God of the universe knows everything about you. Yes, He does. Yes, that's scary, isn't it? And yet here He makes the promise that through the New Deal, the blood of Christ, that His mercy is so great that He will forget your sins forever. Hallelujah! Now, I'm not the kind that says that a lot, but I want to for this. Praise God! That meets me where I need to grow. It meets me in my need for life and grace. Maybe it meets you where you need to be too. In Jesus, God has forgiven you. That's amazing New Testament teaching. In Jesus, I didn't say outside of Jesus, in Jesus, grace has found a way to look beyond what you have done to what you can be. In Jesus, God's name is more than a thou shalt not. In Jesus, God's name means I am the Lord your God who brought you out. Of the House of Bondage.
1: Thanks for tuning in today to the first portion of The New Deal, today's Reaching Your Heart. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page. Again, the name of today's broadcast was The New Deal. Please stop by the worship service this Saturday at 11 o'clock. The new address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That again is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. We hope to see you there. For Pastor Mike and everyone here also, please know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.